what's up everybody welcome to another episode of shut up keep going oh we turned that around today (laughs) the kind of podcast where we explore internet curiosities curiosities. i didn't know if you were i was gonna i was gonna say something like that's just the kind of podcast today's gonna be like flipping everything on its head and then the other thing came out because i was like oh i should say that early just in case people have i don't know you were like like you nodded and looked at me straight in the eyes like we should be saying it at the same time and i'm like is that do we do that are you good at eye contact i can't tell i can't either (laughs) i'm like freaking out looking at you (laughs) I can't either. I can't tell if we should look at each other in the eye. That's the thing. I'm not sure. I feel like, should you always be looking at somebody in the eye? Or are there times where it's just not, I don't want to say, obviously there's times that aren't appropriate, like if you're like peeing or something, (laughs) but I feel like, are there normal? I don't know because I feel like I try to give people eye contact most of the time. Maybe I don't because I'm always distracted and looking at other stuff. And that's the only reason why, because normally I would love to look at someone straight in the eyes most of the time, but I had this roommate who had the most intense blue eyes and he had a little bit of a unibrow. He was very attractive though. So I'm not shaming unibrows. Mm -hmm. Some people can definitely rock them. He gave the most intense eye contact that everyone I brought into my home was like, what's up with that guy? (laughs) Because he would, like, not break eye contact with you. He would look at you like this and be like, wow, that's really interesting. Tell me more. And he was a total sweetie, but it really stressed people out. And then I feel like I started overthinking eye contact because of that. Interesting. Okay, well, speaking of eye contact, do you want to go first or should I? Seems like you want to go first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, today um, I kind of gave you a pre-brief. Is it about eye contact? Um, Kind of. Okay. One second, my headphones going in and out. Um, well, I kind of give you a pre-brief in saying that this is less of like an overall topic and more like, hey, these are a few things that exist. Let's talk okay. about them. Let's talk about them. So the first one is something called Fantasia. Do you know what that is? Like the Disney movie? No. Sorry. Wait, do you want to hear something that's like so wholesome? Yeah. I feel like there's so many random little things that when Alex and I first started dating that I was like, I love this. I love this man. Aw. So whenever he would get ready for something, he would turn on Disney's Fantasia and just like be like ironing his shirts to Fantasia and like. That's what his, he would get ready to would be Fantasia. That's so cute. But Isn't I, that just like so wholesome? Wow. He doesn't really do He doesn't do it anymore, but he used to for the longest time. Isn't it time. kind of scary? I've never seen it. I've only seen parts of it. It's not really scary. It's just like music and illustrations. That is very wholesome animation. Though. But anyways, okay, so Fantasia... So we're talking about... It's the amount of detail in your mind's eye... So like your mind's eye, because I feel like until I read more into this, I was like, okay, mind's eye, whatever, like, cool. But that's basically like when you are visualizing something or like if I said the word like apple, like you're probably thinking of an apple, but like obviously you're not looking at one. It's just like in your brain and yeah. in your head. Yeah. Um. And so what fan- Fantasia is, is it describes the amount of detail in the mind's eye and it's a scale. So 
somebody who is a 10, let's just say, is hyperphantasia. And that describes having a super vivid and detailed mind's eye and extremely vivid mental imagery. So they describe it as like vivid as actually seeing it, like the contrast and between like the foreground and the background and just like that level of detail. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I was trying to, but I couldn't find any information on like if there is a correlation between being hyper fantastic. I I don't know what the word would be, but hyper, if having hyper fantasia and being, um, what's it called? Having photographic memory were related. I couldn't find anything on that because this is like a relatively, it seemed like unstudied and newer study on it um, because there was only one study that I found that we'll talk about in a second that was like really talking about it. And I think that named the phenomenon. So it's different. Photographic memory is like you look at a page and you know everything that's on the page. Yeah, but I guess like my understanding of photographic memory and maybe it's because it's how my brain works. And that's what I think is so fascinating about everything that we're going to talk about is it's fascinating because all you really know is what you know Mm -hmm. like I don't know what your mind's eye looks like you don't I don't okay and I don't know what anybody the only thing that I know is my is what my experience is and so in the context of photographic memory I always thought that it was like you look at something and then let's just say a textbook and then you're in the test you can visualize like exactly, okay, like in the left column, it says X, Y, Z. Yeah. Like I thought it was like that because, but that's also how my brain works because that's it's how, like, yeah. I'm, I don't have like a hundred percent photographic memory, but I can visual, like, I remember I would be in tests and it wouldn't totally help me out, but I could visualize and be like, oh, I know that the information that I'm looking for is like, right. I, I did this, the same thing. That's like so this funny. exact yeah. spatially on the page, but yeah. then I'm like, I can't, I don't know exactly what it says, but I know that it's right here on the yeah, page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm the same way. I feel like I'm pretty fantasia. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I, I really, really honestly wanted to be hyper fantasia, but like, I don't think I have that level of detail, but so I think it's I'm like pretty far up there. if you see an apple, to be hyper fantasia, it's like if you see an apple... Okay. Do you want to explain? We'll get to that okay. in a second. Um, well, we can do that now. So I found this hyperphantasia. Well, actually, no, because this is like, I don't have as much information on the opposite, which is an aphantasia. Okay. So we'll go back to hyperphantasia in a second, because I don't want to be like, ooh, we're talking about all this interesting stuff. And then I'm like, here's two sentences. We're done. Yeah. Uh, so aphantasia is the opposite of hyperphantasia. This would be if you're like a zero on the scale, which means that mental visual imagery isn't present. Whoa. Ha. How? Right? So there's people who just don't have that. They don't have mental visual. It just doesn't exist for them. I like can't wrap my head around that. It makes my brain hurt. So if they were to, if you were to say apple, they would imagine apples like spelled up, but then they're still seeing the word. So I don't think they would imagine it. They wouldn't see the world word. I think they just think the word. So the interesting part was it said some still have visual dreams, though. Oh, so when they're sleeping dreams, I guess in this study, they were um, it seemed more focused on aphantasia. So I'm not sure if like hyperphantasia people maybe are all lucid, like most likely lucid dreamers or anything like that. Again, it didn't seem like there was this was very studied, Um, but for aphantasia people. 
still have visual dreams, but 7.5% of them says they don't dream at all. (gasps) So they've never had mental imagery. Who are these people? I don't know, but a new study shows that those with this... Okay, this study, I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) At least the summary that I was reading of this study, like, (laughs) come on. Like, I'm a scientist too, okay? (laughs) Why? What do you mean? Okay, so new study shows (laughs) that those with this, with aphantasia, might have talent superpowers that give them a greater chance of having a scientific career. Like, with that, I feel like there's so many unknown variables. There's pressure from parents. There's economic, like, socioeconomic implications. Like, there's so much there. Um, There's probably, like, gender implications because of the, like, lower amount of women in STEM, uh, traditionally in STEM. But so Professor Adam Zeman of the University of Exeter, I think it's in the UK. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Exeter right, uh, coined the term aphantasia to describe the inability to mentally visualize. And um, with aphantasia, it's pretty unusual. It affects about 2% of the population. But to go to the study, sorry, I forgot I was talking about study. Uh, So his study looked at a sample of 2,000 people with aphantasia and get this, 20% worked in science computing or mathematics. Like, is that, is that not just like the amount of people in a normal population (laughs) who works in it? I just, maybe that's just because my brain is so like that, like the opposite of that, that I'm like, are these people like, how do they have any thoughts at all? Because all of my thoughts are visual. If I think about it, like, how do they recall information? I is think it auditory? auditory. So it's just like a voice Wait, in their that head. little gasp of trying to understand. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's just like a, ga- a a voice in their head trying to... Do you know something that I've been seeing in my head? Like I've been imagining memes when I do stuff like that. Like the, <laughs> I imagine I the that. little like asterisks being like trying to comprehend. <laughs> <laughs> like my face like... Uh. <laughs> Because to me, I just, I don't under, I truly like can't wrap my brain around that, but I'm sure it is helpful in some ways. Maybe like music. Well, so what I was thinking, what I'm thinking is, and I think we talked about it maybe last episode, but the idea of like a lack of one sense um, heightens another. another. Like I'd be curious if having that lack of visual imagery, because if you think about it, like that does have to take just like science, like it take some amount of energy from you to conjure up a mental image. So then like maybe that energy is rerouted to like superior auditory function or even like, I think, I think the reason, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'd imagine it's similar. (laughs) The reason why I have such a hard time understanding this and wrapping my brain around it is because like, I am such a visual learner. Like the visual component is so necessary for me to understand like to wholly understand a thing Mm -hmm. that the idea of not having that I'm like I would just not ever comprehend anything but remembering that there's people who like are the exact opposite and the visual part is just like the least helpful information for them and so I'd assume that those the people who are have I want to say a (laughs) fantastic the people who have a fantasia probably are auditory learners or learn in a different way than visually yeah must they must be obviously otherwise they'd have a bad time (laughs) because i'm just imagining like i am such a bad 
auditory learner. Oh, same. But it's so oh my weird because I do love listening to podcasts, but I guess and like audiobooks, but I think it's I can only do it if I'm doing something else. Wait, oh my gosh, me too. Like I can't I, just sit down and put on does a, anyone an do audiobook. That? Is yeah, anyone listening totally to this do. just sitting down? Like doing nothing, like you're not washing the dishes, you're not going for a walk, nothing? A, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad we hold your attention. But B, wow. <laughs> Impressive. Let us know on, I guess, send us a message on our when Instagram. I, when I like am feeling really restless and I need to go to sleep, I like put on an audiobook and I pass out within like <laughs> 10 seconds. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you think people use us to fall, to like <laughs> lullaby them to sleep? We don't have very like it's soothing voice. Shit. <laughs> Our cackling. They just keep jolting You're awake. Like, oh God. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think that this is also not to like get too far in a tangent, but like, I think this is also an issue because again, these are the two like extremes, but it's a sliding scale. There's people who have a very like non-active mind's eye. Um, and it's just wild to think of how different people's brains are and the way that they comprehend and understand information in their environment and how school is only tailored to is typically only tailored to like one type of learning. Yeah. And just that it's like somebody who let's just say is super hyper fantasia and they are such a visual learner that's making the assumption that all people who are who have hyper fantasia are visual learners, but that it's like they might go through like school all the way up through high school thinking that they're a complete dunce yeah but actually they're like super super smart they've just never been taught in a way that like resonates with the way that their brain works is there not a way that we could test that and then like have like classes tailored to people however they learn best i wouldn't be surprised if there are some like new age type schools I'm definitely that. sending my kid to like a hippie school. Oh, for sure. Like for sure. I want them Except singing some of them, German and like gardening. Like some of them though are so on the other side that I'm like, <laughs> that it's like, we don't believe in discipline. And it's like, well, I mean, don't just let my kid like run wild. Like, I mean, I need, to, we need some boundaries. Yeah. But like. Or like getting like an alligator in math. It's like, I think they can handle a grade. Yeah. But I, I like the idea – I told you about Caleb's middle school where it's like it's just about getting kids excited about learning. I love that, yeah. So like he took a class called Moby Dick where they just learned about whaling. They didn't just draw dicks everywhere. <laughs> that too. <laughs> um, but I don't know where I was going no, with this. I, I agree with you though. You can interrupt me when you remember. I agree with you though. I think that like – I would love to send my children to. Do you think our high school was an auditory or was it a uh, visual learning experience? I think aside from my art classes, it felt very auditory to me. That's probably why I did bad. <laughs> I, well, I feel like it just took so, but also I was going to say college was like that for me too, but that's my own fault because I was a science, I was science, which I feel like. How do you teach science not visually though? I don't understand. I mean, there's a visual component, but so much of it is like learning definitions. And like learning this means that. I guess that's true. I just feel like there's a part of me that has a STEM lady in there. Because I feel like I just never got a chance to be good at it. Yeah. Because the way it was taught to me was just so... It was auditory. Like I just could not pay attention in class. And then I would just get so behind and overwhelmed. But now it's like obvious that I'm like very interested 
in this and I wish I could have, I don't know. It's sad that when you're an adult, you can't. Like, I mean, you could go back to school or like take classes to. at like community college. But now time seems like it's ticking. Anyways. Anyways, uh, <laughs> with that, so the other thing that I meant that I want to mention, well, actually, no. So I have this hyperfantasia checklist. Okay. That was made by a Redditor named uh, Maganice. Okay. Um, and there's a visual, audio, touch, smell, and taste section. I don't know that we'll go through all of it, but so visual, picture an apple on a plate. Mm -hmm. What color is the apple? Red. What variety is the apple? I don't know. The, the, the schoolhouse one. Red delicious. What direction is the light coming from? Mine's coming from the right. It's a backwards key. Backside key. Is there a spectacular reflection, i.e. a shiny spot? Yeah. The light is accurately reflected by the skin of the apple. Are there imperfections? So my question, though, is like, I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this, I'm like adding all those yeah, details. I, <laughs> I think that the whole checklist is that it's like when you say apple, like are all of these things present? I definitely see an apple with light, like a shiny spot same i see somewhat of the texture of it and i see that it's like a white plate with like the rim oh you know, the middle rim mine looks like it's doing stand-up comedy like it's just like <laughs> sitting on the thing with like a really harsh spotlight and it's just like hello <laughs> but then now okay now i'm like i've hurt my brain okay so I'm, wait can okay. you easily zoom in on the apple rotate it how faithful to an actual 3D physical object is this in your pretty mind's good. Eye? Mine feels pretty good too. Yeah, I can definitely see it all. Okay, wait. So is it about visual imagination? Is it about imagining something? Like so, how detailed your imagination is? Yes. Okay. Um, but based on these, I guess we I might have misled this conversation um up until this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, because it seems like it's beyond just visual. It's like, so it is mental visual imagery, but like if this Redditor can be trusted, I don't know who they are or like why they came up with this checklist. Like the imagination goes beyond just visual. So it says like audio here. Okay. So this time I'm not going to read you the questions. I'm just going to give you a second to think about it. Okay. And obviously listeners, please do this too. And then, um, I'll ask you the questions. Okay. okay. So audio, imagine a song, one with vocals and instruments and pick a song that you're familiar with. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does it have all the instruments? I don't think so. Are the vocals changing pitch, tone, etc.? Yes. Are the vocals actual words or just sort of gibberish fitting the role? They're actual words. How sharp are the drums? Pretty sharp. Can you change the tempo? Sort of. Can you make the singer sound like they huffed helium? Yeah. Can you swap out instruments? No. Can you change the key of the song? Obviously that, that implies some sort of knowledge of... Not really. <laughs> but so I think that's interesting because then there's like touch, smell, and like conjuring up like... How detailed is the smell and taste? So I don't know if all of these, again, this is just something random that I found on Reddit. And I don't know if you have to like be able to do all of these to be considered 
more hyper Fantasia or not, but thought that was interesting. So the last thing that I will leave us with. Wait, I have a lot of questions. Ask me all the questions that I don't have answers to. Okay. So. (laughs) Did you get a new tattoo? I've had this. Oh, I don't think I've ever noticed it until just now. It's a war and peace tattoo. (laughs) I love it. Wait. Is it a spoiler if you tell me why? Yeah, because it's amazing. Okay. But yeah. I'll ask you about it when it's I finish the book. It's the best part of the book. When I finish the book, I'll Caleb ask you about it. Caleb has the same one. We got him when we weren't even dating. Isn't that lame? Like together or? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, Hardcore. it's funny. We got them. He didn't even, I don't know. Like it, we went to the tattoo parlor because for like one, like a week before, Caleb's like, we should get a tattoo. And I was like, okay. And I have tattoos, so I wasn't that freaked out about it. But he, like, wasn't that serious about it. But I was, like, not a- super attached to the idea. And we kind of just, like, both thought the other one really wanted to do it. And so we, like, went to the tattoo place. And, like, I literally was, like, laying down getting it. And then I realized that I was, like – I it's actually my one of my favorite tattoos I have. But the whole experience was just like very confusing. And I was like, I don't really understand why I'm doing this. But then we both got it. And then everyone thought it was weird that we got matching tattoos when we were just best friends. And then like two weeks later, we got together. And I was like, oh, that explains it. <laughs> this, I can feel the sexual tension as you're telling <laughs> like, oh, me the okay. story. Um, my question was, I am, <laughs> I think I'm overthinking this. But now I'm like, I don't understand how I'm seeing an apple when it's just like in my brain. <laughs> I know, dude. Sense? I know, I'm dude. Like, what is that? Like, I can see it completely, but like I'm looking at your carpet. It literally makes me nauseous to think I about know. it. Like, I, I don't understand it because it's just like it exists so vividly in my head, but I am just looking straight at your face. <laughs> it's like so you're freaky. not an apple. Like, where does this come from? Why is this happening? Like, it's so freaky. how come brains are so powerful that they can do that? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. It's so weird. The other thing is, um, have you heard about memory palaces? Yes, I have. I was going to do that as a topic one time, but I didn't. Oh, um, I, okay. Well, maybe do you understand them very well? Yeah. Because I've tried to use them as like a, uh, maybe it's because I like half-assed looked into it, but I was trying to use it to help me memorize like a thing that I had to memorize. And I felt like it like was so strenuous for me to remember what my palace looked like that I couldn't also, that I was struggling as well to remember the like passage that I had to memorize. Yeah, I, it works for me, but it only works because like, as a child, I like unconsciously made one with the days of the year or the months of the year. I think I've told you this. Mm-mm. So, oh wait, before you do this, can you describe memory palaces just in so case? So memory people don't palaces know? are imagining like a literal like space, and then assigning like a room or like a mansion or something, and then assigning objects within that as certain things you need to remember so then you can not like you can imagine the space and you can go to different rooms and you'll like leave the thing you need to memorize in the room does that (laughs) so do you physically drop it off so like explain this space and explain like a way that you've used it okay so how I did it as a kid unconsciously but I realized once I heard what memory palaces are I'm like holy shit I've been doing this like a long time is 
when I had to memorize the calendar when I was like a child, I, I don't know why I did this, but I went into different parts of my, not actually, I imagined different parts of my parents' home and assigned a room a month of the year. And so now when I recall the calendar, I literally see my parents' room, my parents' house. So March is their living room. So every time I hear March, I see my parents' living room. So in your head, when you were learning this, did you physically go and like drop March off to the living room? No, I don't know how I, I, how that happened. It's very bizarre. Hmm. Um, that's like a very non-complicated memory palace, but I used to do it when I have to like memorize something. I would like, I would, I don't know how, maybe this is not how you're supposed to do it, but I would just imagine like a room and then I would Was like, it a room that actually exists or would you make it up in your head? It was usually the room I was studying in. Oh, and interesting. And then I would just like look around and be like, okay, this chair is like this thing. And then like that cabinet is this thing. And so then when I was at the test, I'd be like cabinet, that's, it would just like. Oh my gosh. I was definitely making it more complicated. I would imagine a fake room. Oh, no. I mean, you, I guess you can. You probably do that. But I feel like me being like, like, why would you do that if you could just do it to the room that you're sitting in? I, yeah. And I don't, it really works for me like really yeah. well. I don't, it's so confusing though. I think cause I am so visual. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like that sounds so helpful. Yeah. Huh. Memory palaces. Yeah. But I, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I thought it was like, I was like, had something wrong with me that I did that with the days of the year, but I, did, it's fine. Do you want to know something slightly pretentious that I want to start doing? Yeah. Cause I used to do it in college. I want to memorize poetry. <laughs> That's cute. I just think it's like really, I don't know. It just feels really nice because I had this English professor my freshman year and she memorized poetry and she like spoke about how important she felt like it was to have something beautiful to recite. Wow. And so she actually made our class like memorize, um, what's, <laughs> what's the name of the poem? <laughs> um, uh, Frost. Robert Frost. Yeah, Robert Frost, two roads diverge in a something. Oh, yeah, I don't. I'm embarrassed. Um, But yeah, we memorized that. And then after that, I like tried to keep up with memorizing poetry. But I realized this week, I was like, I really want to keep doing that. I am. I cannot understand poetry. Okay, dude, I, I feel like an, like an imbecile. (laughs) It makes me feel so stupid. I just, but that's why I'm very confused by it. Because Poetry is supposed to be extremely visual, but I just am like, I don't understand what this means. Wait, that's so comforting to hear you say I don't say understand that. what it means at all. And Caleb is so into poetry and I he'll be like, oh my gosh, you should read this poem. And I'm like, what does this mean? See, I can say like, oh, this is like really beautiful and it's like evokes whatever feeling in me. But I feel like I have, I feel so like low class because I feel like I have a really hard time being like, this is good poetry and this isn't like it just, I go, and I guess it is all subjective, but it's just like, I just go based on like, Oh, this is gross. Like, I don't like this or like, Oh, I like this. I think it's supposed to be, I think I take it too literally. Mm. Like, I think you're just supposed to like see what it evokes and go from there. It's supposed to be more fleeting and throwing my head around because that's how I imagine reading poetry. (laughs) I really like Shel Silverstein. (laughs) (laughs) 
could you imagine you're at like a poetry they're like who's your favorite poet like i love shell silverstein <laughs> good it makes me cry <laughs> dude okay so i got for alex we used to get each other a lot of like little weird gifts when we started first started uh-huh. dating one of them which I still to this day, I think it was a really good sign that he like didn't just like flee when I <laughs> did this because it was way too early to do something so weird. But my brother and I we were going for a hike and Alex and I had just started dating and like I had maybe only seen him like once in person after the first time we met because he still lived in Washington. Yeah. So we'd kind of see each other in spurts. And so he was coming down that week and I knew that and I was really excited. And so me and my brother were hiking and I found this rock and I thought the rock was really like, it was like very smooth. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And so I brought the rock with me and then on it, I wrote Alex, you and gave him the rock. <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> and he was like, okay. He was like, oh, wow. Thanks. And I remember just being like, ah. <laughs> oh, was that too weird? I don't... <laughs> he still has it on his desk. Oh, that's cute. Um, But anyway... Oh, I thought you were going to, like, carve his name into a tree and be like, hey. No. <laughs> okay. No. I did that the next week. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I forgot the other thing I was going to say, but if I remember, I'll say it. So the final thing that is related to what we were just talking about that I think is going to break your brain if you don't already know about it. So I'm so sorry, dude. Okay. Is that there are people with no inner monologue. <laughs> Wait, what does that mean? <laughs> so some people just don't have an inner monologue. So you know how when we were talking about like, oh, well, what happens if you have aphantasia? Like, oh, you must just like everything's auditory. There's people that don't have that auditory thing. I'm trying. So like they don't hear anything in their brain. It's just silent. So how do they think? Through images? I think they're speaking out loud. I don't know. So I, because I assumed you would have that question and we couldn't just watch a YouTube video. And if for people listening, don't leave now, listen to this podcast. (laughs) Um, But I've actually watched a decent number of interviews on YouTube of people who have no inner monologue who are kind of like explaining it. So the next best thing was I found on Reddit. There's a Reddit thread from a user named Raider Malkylo. How come all Reddit users are Star Wars fans? <laughs> like, is that like a prerequisite? I, yeah. Like literally <laughs> every Reddit threat. Do you know what's every- imagining? When I see Reddit, I go, do do like, like the, the, the planes in Star Wars. <laughs> um, you mean the X-Fighters? Sorry. Or X-Wings? Okay. So anyways. So this Reddit thread quote from Vader Mall Kylo. Today I told my mom that I have no internal monologue and she stared at me like I have three heads. Is having one common? They confessed they had thought it was, they meaning Vader, confessed they had thought it was a fictional concept made up as a narrative device in the TV show Dexter. So people describing what it's not, what it's like not to have an inner monologue in this Reddit thread. Quote, So if your boss asks you to do something right at the point you were planning to leave work, you don't think, oh, what a pain in your head while saying no problem at all, boss, out loud when user asked. And the person responded, no, never had that. If I'm asked to do something I don't want to do, I just kind of get frustrated. But that's about it. I don't really think to myself. Another user chimed in. I think they're lying, but go on. (laughs) I don't believe them. Another user chimed in saying, go Han, Schmo Han. 
It says, I'm the same way. I don't have any conscious thought about what I'm feeling or any stream of dialogue describing it to myself. I just feel it. It's like the inner dialogue is the middleman in my head who just isn't there. But how... So there's others. I have three more little okay. quotes and then we'll see if it helps you out. <laughs> uh, so, f- so for some others, it is a bit more complicated. Uh, someone named Bobbit Worm Joe says, quote, I don't have an inner monologue either. Anytime I tra- have to communicate outside my head with words, I have to translate what I'm thinking. That takes time and effort. It's why I vastly prefer written communication over verbal, since you can take more time than the instant response a verbal conversation requires. Um, There is another person. Oh, shoot. Sorry. I think I didn't. This might still be Bobbit Worm Joe. When I know I will need to verbally communicate, such as if I need to make a phone call or bring up a topic at a meeting, I prepare mentally as much as possible so I know what words I actually need to say. On the other hand, if I'm in a conversation where I haven't had time to organize and translate my thoughts ahead of time, I constantly have long pauses where I'm doing it in real time, which comes off as weird to people who notice it. This annoyed my wife for a long time until we both realized why it was happening. And then asked if they ever got songs stuck in their head, Vader Mall Kylo replied, quote, actually, that's probably the closest thing I have to one. Currently got a couple songs from that new Lil Wayne album in my head. I read some, I read stuff in my head too, of course. I think they're lying. You think they were lying? Because, okay, they... Are you gaslighting them? Yeah. Because, A, they said... In order to translate my thoughts. So what are you translating? Nothing? Well, this was a more complicated one, was translating the thoughts. I think it's... Okay, so like, you know how before (laughs) you speak, sometimes you like think of what you're going to say? Yeah. I took that as like, they don't think of what what they're going to say. So they're just like... Yeah, I guess. And that's why it's like so difficult to communicate verbally. I just don't understand how they're like not like, <laughs> I don't know if this is controversial. If this Do a lot of people experience this? Because I don't want to say something bad and it's like everyone's like, I experience this. I think it's more common than you think, but it's not super common. I just understand how these people aren't brain dead because it's like, <laughs> because it's like, like if I'm to walk from like this room to the next room, I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk from this room to the next room. And so now they're I'm not thinking room. like that. So it's just another way of thinking. At all. I think it's less of like, okay, I'm going to walk. Now I'm walking. Now I'm walking. And it's more of like, oh, I need to get something over there and then stop. But that's a, that's a thought in their head. Okay, so, but okay, so my understanding of how they said that they don't have a middleman made me think that there's no dialogue, that they have thoughts. Okay. So, like, kind of how Vader said that they have songs stuck in their head and that they read things. So, when they read it, they're reading, like, Kate Franklin, Los Angeles, California. And, but they're not thinking, like, Oh, I might know her. Do I know her? That's why I'm like, am I not? So in one of the YouTube videos I watched and don't quote me on this because I watched them like a while ago. I want to say that the woman that I was being interviewed was saying she works a lot of things out verbally. So like the inner dialogue that she has in her head that most people have in their head is actually what she says out loud. 
So interesting. Yeah. I can't, I was, I'm trying I really that this hard would, like, to wrap break, <laughs> break your face a little. Cause. So it's just like they have inclination, inclinations of feelings, but they're not articulated. It's like almost like everything is subconscious or like uh, a impulse. It's like if I don't have an inner monologue and I'm like the, the impulse is I need to go into that room to use the restroom. It's like they just get up and go. They don't they're That's not they're not like okay, I am now going into the next room cuz I need to use the restroom. That's my understanding of it, yeah. Or that it's like they have a thought and but it's not elaborated on. I <laughs> I'm trying really hard. <laughs> so it's like they don't have an imagination? I guess. Or do they see images? But th- there's nothing that suggests that they don't see images. So they probably see images. So maybe they just visualize themselves walking over to the bathroom and they're like, okay. Right? Now I'm like, do I have an inner model? <laughs> I'm still scared of my brain that I'm seeing images that aren't real. <laughs> I'm like still seeing that apple and I'm like, where is that? <laughs> where is it? Um, so yeah, that's... I'm so sorry for doing that to you, dude. I'm just like really... It's I've hard never to- like squared away my brain and like, I mean, we talked a long time ago about, the, not long, a couple of episodes about the mirror moment and mm-hmm. like, I'm still working through the <laughs> fact that I'm a person. And so whenever I have to think about how other people think, that sounds really narcissistic, but like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like when I have to like analyze the way my brain is functioning, it hurts really bad. <laughs> Oh, totally. Well, and I think, I don't, I think it's understandable not like having a hard time to perceive what other people's yeah inner, I mean, it's like, again, it maybe was that same episode, but we were talking about how like, I know you really well and you know me really well, but at the end of the day, I really only know my perception of you yeah. and what you're projecting. Like, I don't, I don't know like what's going on inside of your head. Yeah. No, I know. And the thing with the inner monologue is like, I think I have one. I'm pretty sure I have I'm one. I'm pretty sure you do. But now I'm just like actually monologuing thoughts in my head to make it more pronounced. And I'm like, is that how I act all the time? The thing that trips me out, which like is exactly what you're saying about the like Apple and like where does this exist in space sort of yeah. a thing is, I don't know about you, but when I'm like meditating and then like I think of things, you like think of images or you think of like, phrases or your mind's getting swept off into different places and like realizing that it's like I'm trying to concentrate but there's a part of my brain that's just like doing other things and like creating these images and like where did this image come from and why am I thinking about like the brain dude it's crazy I had a really good meditation meditation e session one time that it wasn't like you were trying to like um rid your mind like it my therapist was like walking me through a visual to like help me overcome like feelings of like self-doubt and whatever and it was so like it was I wonder if there's therapists that specialize in this because I would like to go to one because basically what he did I'll tell it to you it was so beautiful he was like okay imagine yourself at like 90 years old you're at the end of your life 
Did I already tell you this? No, no, no. I'm excited. I'm going to close my eyes. So imagine yourself at 90 years old and you're told to go to this address because there's something waiting there for you. And so you go to the address, you walk into the building and you open the door and there's a party for you. And everyone at the party is saying, congratulations, you did it. Who is at the party and what are they congratulating you for specifically? You're going to go around to each person and they're going to say something to congratulate you for. And so then he just walked me through each person. He was like, who's the first person you see? What do they say? And it can be real or imagined. And it was like, and he's like, they're all clapping. (laughs) And I was like, I was crying. It was so beautiful. Whoa, I like that. Yeah, that's really cool. That it, so I think that is like visualization is totally something that I've experienced in therapy also. But mine was like less wholesome and wonderful. Oh. It was actually I was working through some trauma. Oh, and um, it was so my therapist had me write a letter to the person that I felt has like wronged me or whatever, or like I felt was like the impetus for this trauma. So I came into the therapy session with that letter. Also, if you haven't done therapy, this is, I feel like therapists don't just like whip this out if you're not ready for it. Like, and if you don't want to do it, please don't let this turn you off from therapy because this is kind of like hoo-ha kind of yeah freaky, weird stuff. Um, So I'll say that. But I show up with this letter and she took me through this whole thing of like imagining like chains on like me and the person. And then I have to imagine like... um. It, I can't remember the whole chain thing, but there was like a very like negative aspect to like imagine imagining like the visual personification of this trauma. And then it was like, I had to think of like one of my favorite places in the world, which is so funny because it's what I have the Polaroid on under my, uh, my computer. But so it was like, imagine that. And then like, imagine the person sitting in a chair. And then it was like, I had to read them the letter, the letter. And then it was like, I put them in a box and then I had to like smash the box. (laughs) And so she like physically had me get up and like stomp on the ground and just like imagine it's like under your feet and like you're stomping it. Like, and she was like, really stomp on it. And so I'm like literally jumping up and down with both feet in her office, just like sobbing while she's like watching me. It was extremely effective, but like the weirdest thing that I have ever ever had it was effective though I felt like it really was on like letting it go and just like forgiving the person and like because it wasn't so I want to say the way that she like led the visualization wasn't that it was like I was smashing the person it was like more of like this trauma and the chains and like the idea like the weight of it yeah um but yeah it was like wild I've (laughs) never had I've seen now one two three three different therapists and like she's the only one that like did stuff like that but it was just like (laughs) uh, I just imagine this like very comical like stomping whenever I think back (laughs) on it I had this one therapist who I think did not read I don't know what was going on skipped class she like I don't know if she was confusing me for another patient but she didn't read the room I thought you meant like didn't read like a chapter it was it was a it was during the pandemic. Uh-huh. So, and she comes in and like, I struck, I was struggling with focus, but it wasn't like, I'm like, my life is fully suffering from that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's yeah. not like I'm like in trouble because I can't focus, but she literally for like 30 minutes, she was like, okay, so we're going to list out what you're going to do every single day. 
And I was like, so mad because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to. She's like, okay, so what time do you wake up? And I was like, it's seven. And she was like, okay, what do you do next? And she wanted me to go through the day and listen. Oh, she's stressful. Like, when are you going to go grocery shopping? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and I like left. I hung up. <laughs> I was so frustrated. Oh my God. And then In I the fired middle. her. In the middle. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Did you say anything like I, I'm gonna hang up now? <laughs> I just. Why did you act like? Well, because the thing that was it was like a. Re- <laughs> I've never told anyone that. I appreciate you being so vulnerable here. Wait, did she like email you after? Did did you speak yeah, no, to her so after? Was I, she like, what happened to your internet? Like, are no, you okay? she did. So my therapy, I go to it through my school, and they're like very like overly communicative honestly to like like if someone was really stressed out I would not want to be communicated with that with that much it's very stressful the secretary called me like four times (laughs) (laughs) and then I just emailed and I was like oh sorry my like internet went out also like I don't think I need therapy (laughs) (laughs) they're like you liar um oh that's funny yeah it was stressful I'm sorry that happened but that's it's a funny story but that's I mean I probably should deal with my lack of being able to confront people and tell them how I feel to their face that's a whole other issue (laughs) um your topic okay oh here we go here we go oh Oh, wait before we keep going I feel like we're both huge Arrested Development fans R.I.P. and that it's like worth saying like a huge rest in peace to Jessica Walter because that was devastating the news of her queen. passing. I just you don't think like people like that are gonna go. Truly, she is just like a gem. I feel really lucky that she was in a series that like means so much to me because otherwise I don't think I would have been exposed to like her brilliance. Same. Oh, so sad. Sorry to like start your topic off on a sad note, but I felt like I wanted to say it in the beginning and I forgot. So good for her. That's my favorite Lucille Blue line. <laughs> good for her. So we're going to talk about the century of the self. Oh, do you know this? No. What well, is okay. this? I don't even know if this is a book. I don't know if this is a philosophy. <laughs> I don't know anything. So this is a little bit strange for a topic, but it is. I'm just basically going to recap this amazing documentary series I watched. Ooh, boom, baby. Let's go. But it's, um, so Century of the Self was a two- Also, oh my gosh, sorry. I can't believe I just said boom, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, boom, baby, indeed. Um so it's this really amazing kind of terrifying uh documentary series British. So mm. we do have to take it seriously. That was made in 2002 by the filmmaker Adam Curtis and it's uh four episodes that focus on the work of Sigmund Freud, Ooh, the famous psychoanalyst, okay. his daughter Anna Freud and a PR consultant who is the nephew of freud Hmm, i want to say nepotism named edward bernays who is did he bernays like bernays burn like the sauce a's is that a sauce bernays yeah isn't that like i think you're thinking of hollandaise no dude i swear bernays is a sauce oh he is the nephew of sigmund freud i'm correct about that bernays sauce yeah what is it like a like did he invent it? It's considered to be a child of the mother of hollandaise sauce. It's like 
There's butter a- and egg yolk and white wine vinegar mm-hmm. and herbs. I love hollandaise sauce. People like put it on like like meat. Oh, okay. You've never had Bernays, dude? No. It's good. Well, he might have invented it because he invented a lot of things in really? our culture. I don't know. Uh, well. <laughs> so the reason why I picked this topic, I feel like you're going to be mad at me at the end because it like is pretty mind fucky. And you're just like, let me live. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. So I appreciate just, the warning. I just want you to warn. It's pretty dense. It's not that dense. It's just like, like I just want to exist. You know what I mean? So, uh, but it's, this is basically just going to be a book report about what the series talks Report about, me, dude. But it's really good and I highly recommend watching it. Where can we watch okay. it? Um, I, it's a BBC show. That's, that's unhelpful information for me. I don't know. I watched it on, I first watched it in a class and then I watched it on YouTube. Okay. YouTube it is. I think they have it like all the episodes on YouTube. YouTube it is. Um, it's called Century of the Self. It's very famous. Probably a lot of people know this, but I think Are it's you interesting. Call, calling me uncultured. You're pretty uncultured. Um, and Edward Vernays is going to have something to say about that. So um, let's start in 1917. Okay. Great film. Did you like it? I did like it. Yeah. Okay. It was really good, actually. Yeah, I yeah. liked it a lot. It's like a theater movie. I liked it a lot, but it's like I I remember specifying this to Alex. Alex loved it. We actually have it. Oh my god! I think it's we have like a 4K of it too. Wow. Um, but I remember being like, "This was a wonderful film. I'm so happy that I saw this. I don't need to watch this for like 10 years." Yeah, same. It's just like a, it's high, high. I mean, not very high highs, but low lows mm-hmm. and like pretty stressful. Yeah, but I can like I appreciate it, and I'm like, "This is great filmmaking," and it's like, "This is too exhausting for me." And it's like a theater experience, mm-hmm. you know. Like totally. I appreciate that. Like you have to see it in that sort of setting. Yeah, great movie. Wait, sorry, can I tell you a quick story of how yeah. we saw that movie in yeah. theaters and how stressful it was? Yeah. Okay, so I saw it in a press screening, which like I don't get to go to very many press screenings wow. because I'm pretty low on the totem pole <laughs> at IGN. I know people think that's like not true because I'm on in front of the camera, but like. My ranking there and influence is pretty low when it comes to getting free things or getting to go to press screenings. And so for some reason, they like gave us so many spots for the press screenings and it was right after Thanksgiving. So there were a lot of people out of town. And so they were like, oh, Sydney, if you want to go, you can go and you even get a plus one. I was like, oh, my gosh. But it was all the way in. um, What's like right when the valley starts? It's like by that mall, the Galleria. Glendale? Glendale. It was in Glendale. And the reason why that sounds all the way is because I was at Thanksgiving at my parents' house, okay. which is not even in LA. It's like south the other way. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, but we're going to figure it out. And I remember it was raining and we hit a ton of traffic. There was an accident. And so we end up getting there. Like we're parking and we're five minutes late already. And I'm like, oh my God. They're not going to let us in. Like, they're going to show IGN that somebody didn't show up. Like, I'm so stressed. And they didn't even have the free. Usually when you go to a screening, they, you get, like, a free thing of popcorn and, like, a soda. Didn't even have that. They had already packed up. And we get there, and I'm, like, begging the man to let us in. And he's like, okay, fine. And he lets us in, but I also have to pee. So I'm like, so I'm going to go pee, and then I'm going to go in. But we had to – so, like, our adrenaline's already pumping, and that movie is immediately stressful. Yeah. And then we had to watch it in like the front row oh, in the no. very, very corner. So we're like, and it was oh, no. still amazing. And so I know the movie's really good. Yeah, it's really good. I loved it. 
Who I, directed that? It also kills me when I look up 1917. Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes. There we go. When I look up 1917 and then it says 2019 by it. I don't know why. I think it's really? like really funny to me. <laughs> well, we're in seven, 1917 and sorry, we're in the emotional right, right. root of our I'm desires. I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, so Edward Bernays. Born in 1891 mm-hmm. to 1994, the year I was born. Is that symbolic? Same with me. Perhaps. He is the father of public relations. Okay. What? Um, and he's the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Um, he's the son of Freud's sister. Okay. Okay. And Freud's wife's brother. Oh, so they're like super related. Wait, 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 sorry. When's He's the son of Freud's, Freud's sister, sister and Freud's wife's, wife's brother. brother. So the brother but it's married. Not technically- yeah, it's just like his wife was like, hey, like I have a hot brother. Your sister should marry him. Wait, that's so weird because he, if Freud, did Freud have kids? Yeah. Freud's kids would share like near like a lot of DNA with their cousin more than a usual cousin relationship. But it's not of, like incest, is it? No, it's not. It's, it's just, just like the, what it's close. Pro- no, it's just what you're procreating with is is like nearly the same. The is nearly similar. That's so interesting. So the likelihood that they would have the same amount of DNA as like brother and sister would would be very high. Maybe that's why they understand so psycholo- psychology so well. <laughs> Okay, so at just 26, that's a year younger than me. (laughs) Shut up. Okay, he was asked to join Woodrow Wilson in creating a, quote, public relations council. Wait, sorry, I need to clarify. I said shut up because Kate and I are the same age. And also the other thing is I love it when historical figures like talk to other historical figures. Because I'm just like, (laughs) you're going to freak out because it happens a lot. Um, He was asked to create a public relations council to promote the war effort. And he used conversations with his uncle Freud, really famous guy. We know him. Heard of him. um, Whose ideas were soon after published uh, in his famous book, General Introduction to Psychoanalysis, to understand how people make decisions. Mm -hmm. Freud's writing was just about to understand, was just about understanding why we act. And Bernays used that framework of the psyche to develop means to influence collective behavior of the masses. Okay, that's the overall thing. We're about to get real into it. Wait, can I can I like translate so I yeah. know I'm following? So basically Freud's nephew Bernays, mm-hmm. like the sauce, he's using psychology principles to influence messaging to manipulate the public. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. That's basically what all this is about. But it's really interesting how it interesting. Happens. I love it. Okay, so as much as we like to think our reasoning abilities make us different than other animals, we can easily be persuaded to act if someone plays on our irrational emotions. So Bernays' first experiment to test this idea involved marketing cigarettes to women, um, which involved breaking a really strong taboo at the time. Like it was a social taboo that women didn't smoke cigarettes. It was like a man thing. So he convinced some suffragettes, 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 Suffragettes. Suffragettes. Is that how you say that? I don't know how to say it. <laughs> but you know, uh, when, know, women fighting for the right to vote. Yeah. Um, to march in an Easter parade smoking and call the cigarettes torches of freedom. And so he spun the taboo into an oppressive restriction to overcome, which made smoking immediately a symbol of power and independence. Holy and, shit, this and, man. I know. So this became a new way of marketing products. 
So it was like product placement? No, it was it was reorienting the way you feel about a product so that you will want to buy it. Totally. But I'm saying, did he also do product placement? By yeah, he, he worked with a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. He would, yeah. This guy's like This guy would be crazy. a really great influencer. Uh, he's like the <laughs> influencer. He like invented that. Um, it's like pretty, this like creeps me out, but we'll keep going. So there's also a growing concern with industrial overproduction So Bernays helped the U.S. shift from a culture focused on satisfying needs to one obsessed with fulfilling desires. He promoted the idea of regular citizens buying shares in companies, and he got film stars to come to parties at the White House, forever linking politics with celebrities. Yeah. So in the 1920s, uh, Bernays arranged for Freud's work to be published in the U.S. and gain a widespread audience. Freud wrote about how easily unconscious aggressive desires can be activated in crowds, concluding that man is a sadistic species. And Bernays decided that if people are driven by irrational forces, then they need to be guided. So if he could stimulate inner desires of people and satiate them with things, then we wouldn't act on aggressive impulses. Interesting. So he thought he was really being altruistic here. Yeah, (laughs) I think so. I think so. I think he was. Based on what you just said, it sounds like it. Yeah. Um, I guess in retrospect, that's why I'm passing on a judgment on this. But I do think that's the idea. Because I think before you said that, I kind of assumed this was some guy that was just like, I'm going to make lots of money. I, c- I couldn't decide if it's hmm, if he's doing it for good or not. But um, just because of things that later happen. Got it. Okay. I'll okay. hold my horses. So consumerism was a way to pacify people as a way to make profits. Um, and he developed a system that someone later called, quote, the manufacturing of consent, which uh, means that he saw how ads could create desires which could be easily satisfied and transform people into happiness machines. Hmm. How's that working out for us now? (laughs) Pretty well. (laughs) So, um, so Herbert Hoover, the president Mm -hmm. agreed with Bernays and democracy became palliative that it no longer became about challenging relations of power, but about sustaining them and by satisfying what people want. Okay. So now we're in the 1930s. Okay. So the century of the self, it, you go through every decade and it shows how this. Ooh, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch this. So Freud wrote about civilization and clarified that it was a necessary means to restrain our animal forces. Individual freedom is impossible and far too dangerous, so we must be controlled externally to suppress our violent and sexual urges, and therefore we will always remain somewhat discontented because we have these, like, crazy desires. That was Freud's idea. Mm -hmm. Yes. I just want to preface this that I'm not saying any of this is true, or I believe this 100%. I'm basically giving a book report. That's a good preface because I feel like even now a lot of Freud's like most well-known um, ideas have been challenged as yeah not uh, what's the like scientific term like not repeatable in a experiment something or other I don't that in a study right. not, not reproducible rep- not reproducible I don't know what I'm trying to say basically that like there's been studies that disprove a lot of some of his big ideas. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I agree with some of it. I'm not really going to get into it, but I'm just there. I'm just okay. So um, after the great the market crash and the Great Depression, the U.S. faced angry mobs to fight corporations, and the government used the power of the state to control the market, the New Deal. And Roosevelt worked with George Gallup to poll people's ideas. I didn't know that's how that, you know, the Gallup poll? Yeah. That's where that started, uh-huh. which I didn't realize. I guess you can always just assume that if something has a name, it it's somebody's last name. But <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not like a word. Um, so this idea rejected Bernays, like theory, um, believing that people could be trusted to make wise decisions. Um, and they were going to avoid any manipulation and appeal to citizens' rational faculties. But let's jump across the pond, shall we? And go we to shall, p- cheerio. And let's go to a place called Nazi Germany. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so Hitler as- abolished the huge number of parties running in the election and the National Socialists were elected. They took control of business and the motto was service, not self. And he aimed to channel desires towards a better society than to satisfy the selfishness of individuals. And Joseph Goebbels, who is in charge... Goebbels? I don't know how to say his name. I'd love for it to be Goebbels, so let's go with that. Joseph Goebbels was in charge of promoting ideas to the people... And he admired the way that Roosevelt was controlling markets. And so he went further than that to encourage aggressive forces and citizens as he believed officials could control them to serve their final ends. And he was sadly right because of the Nazis. Gobbles got a point. I am reading, well, I'm listening on audiobook to uh, that book, The Rise of the Third Reich. And it's very fascinating. Oh, fascinating. Have you, yeah. it's like that famous Nazi no, I, book. Yeah. It's not pro-Nazi. <laughs> He's very critical of the Nazis. <laughs> I just was thinking the other day, I was like, I don't like fully understand how that happened. Totally. And so I was like, I, I want to know. So I love what, that. I'm adding it to my list right now. It's a very, it's, the audiobook is really good. It's very, it's a good thing to listen to. I'm, I'm sure it would be very dense to read, but um, anyways. So sorry, I have a notepad that I was adding this that to where it's just like my stream of consciousness. The last thing I wrote was, why is Godzilla so mad? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so basically Roosevelt Bernays was like kind of encounter to Roosevelt, who was like, people know how to make right decisions and they'll make a better world. And Bernays is like, no, like we have to like make decisions for them and tell them what they need because then we'll get people in control. So sorry. And I don't know if you have this answer, the answer to this, but so why did Bernays feel that he was morally superior to be in a position to quell humanity's supposed like disposition to I think because he knew Freud's work so well and he believed that it was like Bible. So he felt like he was like enlightened almost. Got it. Yeah. So, um, he basically, so Bernays basically is like the founder of like consumerism and Mm -hmm. why, and consumerism being linked to the subconscious, which I believe in Mm -hmm. to a certain degree. So, okay. Now we're in the 1940s and Freud has died and his daughter, Anna Freud began writing and speaking and she used her dad's premise that people must be controlled for society to work. 
but she believed people could be taught to control themselves. It wouldn't be, have to be external. It could be like a thing that you're taught as a child. Mm-hmm. So she became really obsessed with child psychology and like raising children with a specific moral code. And so she, um, was like very, I mean, they escaped Nazi Germany, the Freuds. So she was very traumatized by that, obviously. And so she believed that she could train depressive children into strengthening their ego, which would help them control their own unconscious, therefore be like model citizens and not be like savage and violent, which is the Freud. Freud just believes like people are like that deep down. Okay. Are we, are we there? We're following. We're following. So um, since we're in the 1940s, World War II happened. So about half of the returning soldiers suffered mental breakdowns and psychoanalyst Mike Martin Bergman was recruited by the U.S. government to interview returning soldiers. And it was the first time people started exploring and discussing feelings, which is so interesting. Wait, in what? It, it was the first time where like, I think. How would they know that though? The psychology wasn't that big back then. I guess maybe I'm taking this too granular, but how would they know that like people weren't having like philosophical conversations? I think they were, but I think it was more about like when someone is emotionally disturbed, you wouldn't just throw them in an insane asylum and be like, you're disturbed. It'd be like, I'm curious why you're feeling this way. Like, let's, gotcha, let's go to gotcha. the, okay, okay. which is psychoanalysis. It's like a, you know? Yeah. Um, so Bergman, the psychoanalyst, decided that the stress and mental breakdown were not caused by the conflict, but by the soldier's personal childhood desire for aggression. And because they weren't traumatized by the aggression itself, but their eager participation in it by letting go of their instincts to fight. So like they were traumatized by the way that they were able to just engage in violence, which I think is super interesting. Mm. So by how easily violence came to them versus the violence itself. Yeah. How fascinating. So he thought that chaos is at the base of human personality and that can infect society. So people need to internalize democratic values. This led President Truman to create the National Mental Health Act to deal with the number of unstable men returning from war. Interesting. So uh, in the 1950s, Ernest Dieter, Freud's old neighbor. So Freud is just like, he's just inspiring everyone around him. He set up this place called the Motivational Research Center. And it was the dawn of the focus group and the Mad Men style of marketing. Wow. It's weird to think that that didn't like, to me, that feels so ingrained in our culture. It's like wild to think that that a came about semi-recently i know um but b that it just like hasn't existed forever that's wild i know it's so i'm re-watching mad men right now and oh, like, i said dang. that i'm so jealous Ugh, it's so good so um these focus groups would have people free associate about products and encourage their feelings them to express their feelings and associations a famous case is when they asked women why they didn't buy instant cake and they realized that just letting women add a ca- an egg to the mixture would increase the sales. Have you heard about this? Actually, yeah. So um, the underlying idea of Dietrich, Freud's old neighbor, was similar to Freud's nephew, Bernays. Wait, sorry. Before you move on, just to elaborate on that. So the reasoning behind why they weren't buying it prior to 
the egg. You probably know this because I'm sure yeah. they went into it more in the yeah. de- in um, the doc. But for everyone listening, is because housewives felt guilty at how easy and instant it was without the egg. And so they didn't want to buy the product because there was so much shame and guilt around what little work they did to produce to actually make the baked good. And so by adding the egg, it played into the part of their ideas of needing to be this homemaker. Yeah. Which is so fascinating. So interesting. So interesting. When I saw that in the documentary, I was like, Oh my God. Um, so it's, it's the same idea that we can use the environment to strengthen and stabilize human personality. It's therapeutic and confidence boosting for people to identify with specific brands. And it's also super profitable. Mm. Um, so Bernays also worked with the CIA to launch a Busy quote, guy. quote, terror campaign to stage a coup in Guatemala <laughs> Oh wow! by making the conditions in the public and in the press weren't amenable to a thing uh, after a socialist leader had insisted on better working conditions. So um, basically the United Fruit Company, which was an American-owned company, was being like, uh, this socialist leader was like, you need to have better working conditions for these people. And like a lot of the public in Guatemala was super for that. But then Bernays went down there and was like, that guy is crazy. And like, he is a communist and Russia is involved. And then they had a coup (laughs) and they overthrew him (laughs) just so this banana company could like make more profit. Pretty crazy stuff. Oh, wow. I, that to me though, feels like such a, a turn in Bernays. Again, we're running through this really quickly, but just, it feels like. I, I feel like, I think I had mentioned the Manson book I read about the CIA. Mm-hmm. And I just think like so many people were so freaked out by how much change was happening in the 20th century that I, I want to believe that people were like thinking it was for the best when in retrospect, we're like, wow, that was like very bad. Do yeah. You know what I mean? Like people were freaked out about communism like so much. For sure. And it made us like act insane. <laughs> well, I'm curious. So you're way more well-versed in history. We've established that. So I'd be really curious what your thoughts are. I mean, technology is advancing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And like, that's obviously changing very rapidly the way that we live. Yeah. Do you foresee that based on the history of us freaking out about like that rapid change in the past, like how come we're not freaking out? I mean, maybe we are. Society feels like it's just like a big like freak out. Freak out. So maybe we are. <laughs> we're in the middle of that freak out as a result of that rapidly advancing technology. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head around what's happening. Same. I can't. I just. We can say that for another episode. Yeah, that's another whole <laughs> discussion. Um, but at the same time, this is actually related to that Manson book. It's called Chaos. I really recommend it. It's so interesting. But um, this is at the same time that the government was giving a lot of money to uh, psychology departments and universities to do experiments, especially on brainwashing. This is where MK Ultra comes in, which is super fascinating. I don't know if you know about this. Vaguely. So vaguely, but I feel like I was really messed up because there's this girl I used to work with and I want to say her YouTube channel is called MK Ultra or something. And so I feel like my brain got really confused because I think I like gaslit myself and was like, maybe it's not what I think it is if this woman's so freely parading around that that's like 
So please refresh me. MKUltra was basically a top secret CIA operation to use LSD to try to brainwash mm-hmm. people. Yes, yes, yes. And they did it like to unknowing subjects. Mm-hmm. There's a really good Errol Morris documentary on Netflix called... I'm forgetting what it's called. <laughs> Wormwood. Mm. There's a really good documentary called Wormwood on Netflix, and it's about MK Ultra, and I highly recommend. Um, I lost my note. Okay, we're back. So, uh, but the thing is, they were trying to do brainwashing, but uh, people soon realized that the people are much more affected by external persuasion than internal manipulation. It's just like not... It's not uh, economical to literally like brainwash people to make them do things. They can't just do it. It's easier to like tap into people's psychology. Wait, is it a net? Sorry, I was looking at the next like like oh, thing. It's called Wormwood. But is it says it's a drama, so it's a dramatization or a documentary? Yeah, there's really actually like very beautiful, well done like reenactments, and that hot Peter Skarsgård is in it. Wait, you think he's the hot Skarsgård? Wait, isn't he? No, Peter the Star. hot one's the other one. Sorry, Peter. I want to say this one's the ma- one married to Maggie. Yeah, I think he's hot. Really? Yeah. I feel like he looks like the type of guy who would like buy the drink, buy a drink for like a 21-year-old and then be mad that she like won't go home with him and like get I'm like kind of mad he's bald now. I know he can't really help that, but like He didn't used to be bald? No. That's why I'm thinking he's hot. Oh, no, he looks worse with hair. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> <laughs> party of one. <laughs> no, okay, it's it's fine. I think I only think he's hot because he's really good in this show. Oh, I think that his he's definitely haven't have you seen any of the other scars cars? I, the one that's it, right? Oh no, he I, he's the one that um no the one that like I guess I can't say that that's a spoiler. Never mind, but it's just crazy that he's brother in laws with Jake Gyllenhaal. I've recently sorry I need to stop talking and just let you talk. But I recently came to terms that Jake Gyllenhaal is absolutely like my celebrity crush. He is like a ten out of ten person as well. There's this okay. You should definitely listen to this podcast. It's Roger Deacon's call, mm-hmm. podcast. Called, Roger Deacon has a podcast. Yeah, it's called Team Deacons, and it's him and his adorable wife who like works with him on everything. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. They just interview people that they've worked with, and there's an episode with Jake Gyllenhaal, and he is the smartest, most articulate, kind person. And I was so like obsessed with him listening to it that I was like, should I try to marry Jake Gyllenhaal? I don't know that I can handle that. I don't know if you could. I might he just like explode. Sounds like such a sweetie. That's so funny because I've always, the thing that I'm like, oh, okay. Like this is like keeping me at bay is the fact that he seems like he's like really intense about everything and doesn't have much of a sense of humor. Well, no, that's not true. No, you're going to, you're going to freak out. Oh no. Wait, is it really old? I'm literally looking right now. No, it's, it's, uh, no, they started their podcast in 2020. So okay, so it's I hi- it's so he's, oh I'm so excited. Yeah, it's really good. Sorry, Dad. My dad just sent me this podcast he wanted me to listen to, and this one just took the took the cake. Sorry, you can continue your topic now. Okay, I'm sorry. This is like really. No, don't say sorry. I'm sorry I derailed us. I just no, am okay. like wow. Now I'm really disturbed. I didn't realize that. Oh. 
Okay, here's an interesting part, though. We're still in the late 1950s. Okay, okay. So Anna Freud was friends with this other psychiatrist named Ralph Greenson, who is Marilyn Monroe's therapist. Okay? Wow. Okay. It's all connected. It is all connected. And he got Marilyn to move into his house as he decided that his family was the best social model for her to follow. Hmm. So now we're in the 1960s. Okay. And Marilyn Monroe basically committed suicide. Yes. And Arthur Miller... Who, While she was in their house? No, but like after she was in his care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur Miller, who they were married. They were married. That was one of her husbands, right? I couldn't tell it you. Was, I know very little I about her. I know that for a fact. Strike the record that I know that. Um, he argued against this psych- psychiatric method so, because it suggests that any suffering is a problem. That need, You know what I mean? Like it's like you're immoral that you feel that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so he, Miller insisted that we must let suffering inform our lives, not try to cure any and all issues we feel. And then this was taken by a lot of people on like a lot of leftists and hippies and this is the 1960s. So like kind of the free love movement. Um, and Herbert Marcuse, which actually is one of my favorite philosophers if you want to know he's the best he's in the frankfurt school he called it a childish application of psychoanalysis and explained that a huge variety of things we have and we have to do leads to a schizoid existence and this uh destructiveness of the individual is due to empty prosperity so it basically is like the promise that you can have a perfect life makes us extremely unhappy (laughs) because it doesn't accept that suffering is like a part of life Mm-hmm. Um, and evil isn't from a mal- maladjusted innered conflict, but from society and it must be challenged. Martin Luther King Jr. agreed with these words and he says, I am proud to be maladjusted to a corrupt society, which like, I agree. Yeah. Right. Um, and sadly, Anna Freud, Freud's daughter who, uh, studied depressive children, the two lead children that she studied. Stop both committed suicide. So I don't know if that was correct. (laughs) Um, not definitely not a good track record. I'll tell you that much. So basically the downside of all this self exploration was that, um, too many people were living for today and life insurance companies had a huge, uh, plummet in sales because people didn't think about planning for tomorrow. And this new enlightenment needed products to help people express their individuality and variety. uh, But at the time, variety wasn't cost effective for factory production. So you couldn't create a lot of different things for people to express their individuality. But they were like, we have to do that in order to sell things Mm -hmm. to people now. So um, in the 1970s, this place called the Stanford Research Institute was used to measure and test um, desire. And basically this guy, Abraham Maslow created this thing called Mm -hmm. the values and lifestyle survey, which categorized people into specific purchasing types that could be determined by age or income. So basically like mainstreamers would have a need to, for security and belonging, aspirers would have a need for status. Succeeders would have a need for control. Reformers would have a need for self-esteem. And if a product reflects their attitudes, people will buy it which is like a mad, like that's a Don Draper thing, right? Mm-hmm. Don. Um, 
So basically they were like, we have to invent new products. Mm-hmm. Um, and this also would... New products ha- or new way of marketing products? New products in general. Like you'd have to like create one thing, but cr- like create it in a way that it appeals to this person and then create it in a different way that it appeals to this person. Does that make sense? I'm confused why they don't just change the marketing. It feels inefficient to create two separate products rather than create two different stories. Like, you know how clothes were like pretty uniform back in the 1950s? Mm -hmm. Like in the 1970s and 80s, like you could start being an off brand of something. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, basically from then on. Wait, sorry. Just so I know I'm totally understanding you. So instead of purchasing an item because it caters to your individuality you're actually purchasing items to project your individuality yeah okay which i think is totally real yeah for sure for sure um and to be honest like that's basically where it leads us to today um basically that consumerism has now become like highly specified based on individual desire and uh how it ends is basically uh the idea of neuromarketing that it's no longer about like, like some, like we have a desire, like I know in Mad Men, you know how the opening episode is it's toasted that there's, and they talk about the death drive and like, Mm -hmm. but Dawn's like, no, people just want to be cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now this is crazy, but how they're marketing things to people is by no longer using market research or focus groups, but looking at brains directly to find out which ads cause a dopamine spike. Mm. <laughs> wow. So um, the fact that Bernays and others are able to manipulate society is a testament to Freud's original theory uh, determining how our drives affect us. But what some people do that with understanding is somewhat frightening. This clarifies a pivotal role for schools to ensure we to ensure that people are aware of Freud's theory and to wake people up into their own decision makings as well as their own internal drives. Um, so basically it's just to like be aware. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the series ends. And that, be aware it's happening all around you. I thought I had you. a really good quote to end it, but I don't. But um, anyways, Edward Bernays is basically the reason why like Instagram, <laughs> like influencers exist. And like urban alphas exists and like, it's just like a way to tap into, I don't know. It's, I think Instagram is very fascinating to me because I feel like it's now, it's just a call into the void to say like, I exist. I think the dichotomy of Instagram and TikTok are very fascinating to me because they feel at odds. How? Instagram feels very curated. And I think that what you're it's been around long enough that there's life cycles and that we're seeing the end of curation on Instagram being kind of like the mainstream or what people are looking for and people like the more like random seemingly uncurated like oh I just took this picture or whatever and I think that stems from TikTok's um, popularity and how TikTok is almost like the Tumblr of our day to an extent, at least the side of TikTok that I am on. Um, I think that there is a side of TikTok that I'm not as aware of that is coined straight TikTok. Um, That is more of just like the hot people looking at the camera and like dancing in bikinis or with their shirts off, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But 
it's interesting because I think that then there's another side of TikTok where it's like people want vulnerability and honesty and transparency. And a great example is there's this influencer that I follow on Instagram who has a huge following. Truthfully, I still follow her because I think she has a great fashion sense and I like looking at how she's styling pieces. Um, but she's had a lot of controversy with like stealing from stealing designs from smaller brands, from like you know, being inspired by smaller influencers or accounts and like directly taking how they style things and directly copying their photos and posting them without like any acknowledgement. But on TikTok, she's having a really hard time. I mean, she has like millions and millions of followers on, on Instagram and I'd say it's a pretty engaged audience, but on TikTok, I feel like people, that narrative and people are more aware of kind of the things that she's done and are less accepting of it. And so her account's growing extremely slow for somebody that has that engaged of an audience on a different platform. Wow. Um, and so I, I just, I think that's really interesting. Um, I can't remember why I started talking about that, <laughs> okay. but social media. Yeah. Social media. Okay. Here's a quote. Here's a quote I wanted to end with. Okay. okay. Perfect. So in an interview when he was a hundred years old, Damn. Edward Vernays. He says, everyone has a press agent now or media consultant or communications director or whatever you call it. Sometimes it seems like having discovered a medicine to cure a disease and then finding out that so much of it is being administered that people are getting sick from the overdoses. So to me, that sounds like a tinge of regret for what no, he yeah, started. That's what I, I okay. think he was. Yeah. He was like, we went too far, guys. <laughs> Stop the Instagram ads. Can you explain something about TikTok that's going to make me sound like a, such an yeah, old person? Yeah, do it. I'll try my best. Why are the dances such a big thing? Like I said, I'm not really on straight TikTok. Is that straight TikTok? That's straight TikTok. I put that in quotes because that's colloquially. I don't know what side of TikTok I'm on, but it's not <laughs> straight TikTok. Apparently, I feel like people use straight TikTok to think of like what like think about like what the popular kids in high school are. Yeah, are hanging out where it's like I think the dances are they visually look interesting even if they're not very technically difficult so then they're also accessible so that theoretically anyone could learn them if you take the time and then it's just like hot people gyrating and so like people so like the, that okay because i i've seen someone like the dancing isn't very good it's not good it's not it's not good it's like i said it'd be the equivalent of like there were cheers that we used to do when I was on spirit that like we kept very dumbed down because the whole point was that it needed to be easy for the audience to like mirror back. And they maybe looked dumb in the context of like a dance, but when a crowd's doing it, it's very visual. And I feel like that's a lot of TikTok dances where it's like visual to like pop and do whatever see, when maybe it overall, when it comes down to like actual choreography, it is so it something idea, that you'd see like somebody performing on a stage? So is the idea of TikTok like you're not just watching it, you're like participating in it. So you like watch the dance and then you record yourself doing the dance. Yeah. And actually that's interesting that you bring it up because I do feel like without thinking too hard about it, TikTok is probably the social media platform aside from Tumblr because Tumblr was so easy to just like read – posts and whatever um it feels like the easiest and most accessible social media app to participate in like it takes that barrier away because it's like so it feels very low stakes and so easy to just like oh i saw this dance i'm gonna learn it and post it i mean i already have my phone i can just do it versus when you think of something like youtube where like 
technically the barrier to entry isn't that high, but it's also it's like kind of you got to yeah. edit and you got to yeah. upload and come up with a title where this is just like, go. Okay. I guess I get that. It's an interesting platform. I think that we're going to see a, like 10, maybe even more than years from now, like people are going to look back and be like, holy shit, this thing is changing the way that people are thinking. In a good way or a bad way? Uh, I'm such a nihilist. I don't know that. I don't know. I think in general, it's a long conversation. I'll just say this. I think that the way that, and it's, what was that social media documentary that everybody watched that became really popular? I didn't want to watch it. I didn't watch it either. The Social Dilemma, I think is what Mm -hmm. it's called. Mm -hmm. And I think without having seen that doc, but just hearing the conversation around it, it feels like TikTok definitely plays into that because the algorithm is so good. It's just showing you more of what you know and what you like and what you agree with. And so I think that just in general, it's breeding a huge divide in thought and a huge closed offness to anything that isn't yours because you're thinking because it's like you're only being exposed to what you already believe. And I find that there's a lot of like political views on there. And I just think that it's just like breeding a huge divide. Yeah. Because the only people who are quote unquote comfortable enough to put their opinion out there are the ones who I feel like either fall into whatever the like mainstream thought is or who are like so extreme that they're like they need to stand up for and it comes from this like place of anger and defensiveness. And so I think that it's creating a um, an environment where people aren't expressing like don't feel comfortable expressing their actual yeah beliefs and individual thought is being lost well that's what i basically got from this documentary and what i wanted to i guess my opinion about this mm-hmm. which i i just Give find interesting is like i i and i want to do this to myself like i want to think about sometimes when i want to buy something like why i feel like i need to buy it And a lot of the times it is because of trends and it is because of like a thought that was kind of planted in my brain from like the external world, not Mm -hmm. because I actually want to. And it's so like crazy. Like I, I think about especially like hipster culture right now and like what is trendy and like what looks good home decor wise or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know if I actually believe that. You know what I mean? It's so totally. And I think I'm at the point now where I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more aware of it. And I, I do feel like when I buy stuff, it's because I generally want it and I like it. Not because I'm like, if I get this, then my house will look like whatever. Because I feel like now we're getting to the point where, because that, I think that's a recent phenomenon too. I don't know. Maybe Wait, it's not. what is a recent like, phenomenon? Uh, the ability to buy things to be uh to like fit into a category yeah Mm. i feel like it's more recent than normal maybe i don't know no i I feel like home decor has become a bigger thing than it used to be i think maybe that's because we've all been spending a lot of time inside but like think about like target like the things target sells when now as opposed to when they when it when we were children like they have like i don't know it's like i don't know I'm not being very articulate about this. No, I see what you mean, but I think it's because, so yeah, I guess I agree with you. Cause what I was going to say is that like, I think it's because if you take like Chip and Joanna Gaines, for example, like they created an entire category of interior design. Um, what do you call that? Not choices, but like 
what you identify aesthetic. aesthetic thank yeah. you. Um, and then that became, went from niche to mainstream and then target. I feel like it's more of just like a change of strategy target than, you know, collaborates with them and then they create a line and then that yeah. becomes more of the masses. I think that it's a few things. I think that with the home decor thing, um, I would hypothesize that because our generation, cause I feel like it's mostly our generation maybe a little bit younger than us. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, people who are getting out of college and typically during our parents age, like it was accessible and reasonable for them to buy a new house within this age range or buy a house within this age range. And I feel like there's markers like that, that signify you being an adult and because right now that's just not super reasonable for most people living, especially in cities. I can't really speak to people living in suburbs. I guess we know people who live in suburbs that like have afforded that don't live in California and like have houses. But I feel like this need to consume and purchase things to find comfort in like, oh, I am an adult. Like if my house looks put together and like, I am an adult. That's true. And like, That's true. That's but people don't necessarily have like an eye for interior design. This is me shading people. Don't have an eye for interior design or have like an individual way of thinking or looking at it. So then they just follow the trends that are most pervasive on social media. Yeah. I guess because social media is a visual medium. That's why trends mm. have become so much more prevalent and like not yeah. prevalent. Yeah. And changing and easy so to fast easy to grasp onto because not to dunk on my sister I love her very much if you're listening love to this her. love you but she bought a home and she is really trying to decorate it and like her taste is is not my taste but it is like within the like hip design thing but it's so like not natural to her I'm like I'm confused why you have this taste and I yeah. think it was like I think it's I think it was like implanted in her through social media and like marketing. It's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, not to take any, like to, I guess, give some credit back to the, to people who are following trends is I think also being exposed on social media more regularly to visual things and being able to say, Oh, I like this. Oh, I keep seeing this. I like it again. How much of that is, has been manufactured by marketing and Instagram ads and placement with influencers, who's to say? But I feel like there is some opportunity for people to build the skill. That's even true. if it's subconsciously to say, like, oh, I see this, I like this, I would like to replicate it. Maybe that is, I mean, maybe we're more aesthetic now for As the better. A society. Yeah, I don't know. But so, yeah, that was an episode. <laughs> that's very long. I feel like that was like good convo though. Yeah. Like not to like pat ourselves on the back, like, but I sometimes you, yeah. I feel like we end episodes and I'm like, we were so funny. Like, yes. watch out. Um, <laughs> and this one, I'm like, wow, we're so smart. Good for you. I'm so happy to have a, a little bestie that I can have conversations like this with. Also, I'm so sorry I did that. I like, <laughs> I tried to touch your foot. I like look put how, my foot out. Look at my so be like, Vax body. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Um, don't forget new episodes every Friday, and um, our visual guides are also posted on Friday. Uh, Instagram handle: Shut up, keep going. See you next time. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye.